When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Caller has questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Three! Red, red, red! Red Polly! Blue Poncho! In rapid fire fashion. Gun flex right stack. 394 Dragon Smoke. It's Hot Rods on Purple Daily. 5880! So, uh, Eric, when uh, you have kids. Do they still have Burger Kings that have, like, play places? Oh, dude. Okay. Yes. I <laughs> They're could, a godsend. I could go into one and not notice that there was a play place and then just leave with my burger and be like, whatever. But anyone with kids would know the answer to that question. So dude, I'm, I'm glad they do. Now think about when your kids go into the play place and they slide down the slide into the balls or whatever and they're just having a lot of fun. That's me inside of the Pro Football Focus offices meeting everybody today and being shown around here in Cincinnati. So uh, already this is just great uh, to be able to come down here and do the show. And I appreciate Phil Mackey also behind the scenes kind of making this happen, getting me down here for a couple days to preview the NFL season. So as we go through the next couple days, we'll do breakdowns of divisions. We're going to pick a random division. We'll have people coming in. Sam Monson is going to come in about a half hour. But what we will do every day is hot routes. Yes. So ramp it up, Jonathan, back in the studio in Minnesota. And it is the Cincinnati version of Hot Routes today. The football music gets going, and it's a great day. All right, here is our first from the PFF offices. A guy that you know we're familiar with here, former first-round pick for the Vikings, Cordero Patterson, had a classic Cordero Patterson moment when he was asked about being a Super Bowl champ. Now, Cordero could have easily said, yeah, take that, Vikings, for letting go of me. I'm not a first-round bust. I'm a Super Bowl champ. You know what he said instead, Eric? He said his Super Bowl championship doesn't mean bleep to him. He said he's ready for his new role in Chicago. Last year was fun uh, for anybody who thought that Patterson could have been more in Minnesota to see him have some of those wrongs righted in New England and play a pretty significant role for the Patriots offense. I want you guys to give me the Cordero Patterson stat line 2019 with the Chicago Bears. Why don't you begin, Eric Eager, since this is your life, is football stats. Yeah, I mean, I think with when you're talking about Patterson with the Bears, you, you know, 
Matt Nagy is the type of guy, you know, he had him we had him in, you know, Kansas City and he was sort of able to take like players like DeAnthony Thomas and make them into uh, you know, solid contributors. He's able to take, you know, folks like uh, you know, yeah, Tyreek Hill and turn them into number one receivers. So I do think if anybody is going to get something out of Patterson, it's going to be him. The issue is is in that offense you have you know David Montgomery, you have Tariq Cohen, you have Allen Robinson, you have uh, Trey Burton, you have Taylor Gabriel, Taylor Gabriel, uh, the guy out of Memphis, uh, Anthony Miller. So there's a lot of mouths to feed there. So, and then the other thing is Chicago's defense is really good, which means they're not going to be kicked off to a lot, right? Right. So uh, I'm I'm a little bit like bearish on him. I'm trying to look at uh, sort of where I would have him in fantasy, but I, I'm thinking probably on the order of 20 catches, 10 carries, uh, a couple touchdowns here and there. Uh, and his customary like awesome kickoff returns, right? But like he's not going to be able to return as much, so maybe more like five, six hundred yards on returns, touchdown. All right, what do you think, Jonathan? Yeah, I was looking at his stats, and I wasn't. I was actually surprised he didn't do better last year with the Patriots, considering the offense he was in and who his quarterback was. So I'm going to go here. I don't have reception numbers. I just have the yards: 350 yards receiving and 300 yards rushing. I mean, he's got the dual threat ability, but yeah, he's with. Matt Nagy in that offense, but I just don't see him being able to produce that much more with Trubisky as his quarterback instead of Tom Brady. Okay, so I'm looking at it a little bit the opposite way. Is Since Trubisky is his quarterback, they're going to throw bubble screens, and they're going to run jet sweeps, and they're going to run toss plays. Cordero Patterson is going to be their gadget player, and they're going to have to use a lot of gadgeting because Mitch Trubisky isn't that good at throwing the ball down the field. I'm going to say that he carries the ball 50 times this season, 50 runs, and he gains 400 yards or so, and he will probably catch another 25 to 30 passes. That He's going to be a big part of what Matt Nagy wants to do there, and at some point he will take a ball 30 to 40 yards for a touchdown against the Minnesota Vikings on some type of play. Like that's that is guaranteed to happen or a kick return for touchdown against the Vikings. It'll be at Soldier Field cuz they absolutely. Can never, never win at Soldier Every Field. time, every time something goes weird there. That's that, when we decide what road games we're going to cover, like while well, of course Chicago because you never know what's going to happen there. Someone might lose an eye, literally. Uh Zimmer still has the eye. It just doesn't see so good anymore. <laughs> So anyway, our next hot route, Matthew Collar, Eric Eager, Zimmer's just down the road here at his ranch in northern Kentucky, so uh, I know he's a huge PFF fan. Uh, After (laughs) signing a huge contract right before the deadline to sign extensions for guys with the franchise tag, Grady Jarrett of the Falcons said he's still hungry, which, me too, just in general, but not, not for, like, more success on the football field, but just for food. Anyway, uh, Jarrett, he, when he came out of the draft, he was considered to be too small to be a defensive tackle because these teams will never learn that that's not really a thing for defensive tackle. I want you guys to give me your favorite player who did not exactly fit the height-weight specifications for their position coming out of the draft, but became a star. Why don't you go ahead, Jonathan? Uh, my my first one's an easy one for any Vikings fan. John Randall, six one two ninety, is a defensive tackle and has one hundred thirty five and a half. That's a healthy two ninety. He was not two ninety, right? He was more like two seventy. He was like in the two fifties. Yeah. Like yeah. there's a there's a story about him having to wear a weight when he weighed in and his first, with Jerry Burns back in the day. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Getting one hundred thirty seven and a half sacks as a defensive tackle in any career 
is pretty impressive, but to do it at his height and weight, that's even more impressive. All right, Eric? Well, there's a couple Vikings that I think make honorable mention for me. Antoine Winfield. Mm-hmm. Of course. One of the best. Anyone public- who listens knows all-time favor of mine. Yeah, and a slot corner sort of revolutionized the position. David Palmer. Oh, because yeah. Because David sure. Palmer, when I was... Like ten years old at five foot eight, one thirty. He gave me hope at five foot eight, like one fifty, soaking wet for him. But, but now I, you're six three or yeah, something. Yeah, a lot bigger. And then, uh, but the one for me is Steve Smith. Uh, Steve Smith, first ever touching of the football for Steve Smith was two thousand one. He ran back an opening kickoff for a touchdown against the Vikings uh, in the one in fifteen Carolina season where they beat Minnesota on opening day and then lost fifteen <laughs> right. in a row. That's right, Chris uh, Winkie. He had over a thousand receptions, um, eighty touchdowns in his career as a receiver. Uh, ran, you know, was carried the Carolina Panthers on his back in the playoffs a few times with Jake Delhomme at quarterback. Went to Baltimore, uh, had similar success as well with Joe Flacco as his quarterback. Just an all-time great receiver uh, and somebody that I think you know is you know, just just exactly which you answer this question for me. I have a Carolina Panther as well, and that is Sam Mills. The Sam Mills story, his football life, if you want to watch it, is one of the best. And his story's incredible. No one gave him a shot. He didn't go to a big college. He ends up playing in the USFL. He's one of the best players in the USFL. And was it Jim Mora who brought him to New Orleans? And it was unclear whether he would make the team. He becomes not only a starter, but a linebacker and one of the best linebacking cores to ever step on a football field, and then goes to Carolina and helps define that team in its early years, go to an NFC championship, and the keep pounding thing that they do in Carolina mm-hmm. is to honor Sam Mills. So to me, he is the best undersized player to overcome his size that has ever played. All right, next. Colts star linebacker Darius Leonard, who's a rookie last year, said he has big goals for 2019. Again, same here. Same. Big goals for 2019. Yep. Uh, he has a chance, though, to become one of the best Colts defensive players ever. I want you guys to give me your top three Colts defensive players. Go ahead, Eric. Uh, so one of them... I think it's Bob Sanders. The only Super Bowl the Colts have ever won was a season where Bob Sanders played four games and then came back in the playoffs, took a team that was the the worst defense in the NFL, and then I think like they held all their opponents to in the teens in that in that playoff run. So he's certainly uh, somebody. uh, I think you'll probably have Dwight Freeney as well. You know, one of the best sackers in the history uh, of, of the NFL. Um, you know, he was Robert Mathis was on the other side, but they were a great duo there. I thought he was the better of the two. And then one just sort of like in the wayback machine, um, you know, Jeff Harrod, who was a linebacker. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I remember Jeff Harrod. Who, yeah, Jeff Harrod was just a player out of, out of Ole Miss, just like their inside linebacker in those sort of tough seasons. I miss those guys. I they, miss those linebackers in the NFL. Where they would try to, they had Ted Marchabrota as their head coach, and they would go 9 and 7 with a terrible offense because yep. Jeff Harrod just set the. Paul Justin was a quarterback. Yeah, or Jim Jack Harbaugh, Trudeau. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He would just set the tone, and I think, you know, he, you know, 150 tackles, three consecutive seasons. So they had him and what, Quentin Coriat? Quentin right? Coriat was. Yeah. as well and I think you know but I I like the the name Jeff Harrod yeah. so I picked him over Quentin Coriat so uh, that's you know it's actually not that easy to find Colts defenders because you know forever you're sort of thinking about their offense right um, so that those are my three what do you got Jonathan my three Bob Sanders uh Dwight Freeney you mentioned him and then my other one was Robert Mathis the other guy on that defensive line a beast 
Dude leads, Robert Mathis leads the NFL in forced fumbles in his career with 54, with Dwight Freeney not far behind him at 46. And if you think about that time when they had Peyton Manning, it's not like the defense was on the field a whole lot because Peyton Manning was just eating up chunks of time. So to get that many forced fumbles in your career, I think that's pretty pretty impressive for two players. Mathis was great, and he was one that nobody saw coming, really. Just this big, giant, fast guy, and sort of set the mold for how the position would be over the next decade, which now everyone is really tall, really long, and really fast. He also blamed a PED expen- uh, suspension on, like, like uh, a male fertility drug. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, that maybe kept him off my list. <laughs> That puts him on my list. Uh, I also had Bob Sanders and Dwight Freedy. Bob Sanders goes under the what could have been, all what could have been team, as in Hall of Famer, easy if he had not gotten hurt so many times. And the other one, one of the great corners of the era, Ray Buchanan. I forgot that he played with India. Yeah. He, that's where uh-huh. he did get his start. Yeah. Yep, Ray Buchanan was very, very good. And they used to be in the AFC East, so they would play the Bills, and I remember a lot about those teams, and how Bruce Smith would sack every one of their bad quarterbacks. All right, our next hot route here from the PFF offices. Some guy named Zach Wood is the lowest-rated player in Madden this year. This poor long snapper got a 36 overall <laughs> rating. Like, How does his family feel? I mean, come on, he's a long snapper. How bad could his ratings be? He just has to snap the ball. 36 overall. You guys both played the Madden games. I want you to give me your story of using a Madden player who was terrible, but you had success with him anyway. Jonathan, you could start. You're the gamer. I couldn't really think of a specific player from back when I played Madden. I could think of a team back when I was in college when I had a lot of time on my hands because my schedule at college was Tuesdays and Thursdays of class, and I had four-day weekends every weekend. So I went full GM sim mode on the Lions back then on Madden 10, I believe. And it took like four years of jamming the hell out of that team to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> Ended up winning eight. You fired Matt Millen and you took over. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I fired Matt Millen, fired everybody on staff, hired Josh McDaniels as the head coach, and <laughs> won about eight Super Bowls over a 20-year period. As one does yeah. on Madden football. <laughs> That's mine. Yeah, so for me, I used to, same thing, and I used to sim the seasons and there was the 07 year where the Vikings tried to go into the season with Brooks Bollinger and T-Jack as the quarterback. <laughs> That's right. Yes. And, and I, one season, decided to bench Tavares Jackson after a poor week one. And <laughs> by some, like, hand of the simulation gods, I won the Super Bowl with Brooks Bollinger. <laughs> and and, I, and I, at that point, I sort of lost all faith in, like, random number generators. But uh, that was that was mine. <laughs> That's good. Uh, so I predicted on my Madden game Tommy Maddox going from XFL to good NFL quarterback. The year that he returned to the NFL, I played a Madden season with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and you used to pick a team that wasn't all that good, and at the time, the Steelers weren't all that good. Notice Tommy Maddox was playing quarterback for them at that time. Just that kind of a window of weird Pittsburgh Steelers history where... Uh, They were in flux, if you will. And so I thought it was hilarious that Tommy Maddox was back. You know, I love journeyman quarterbacks. I picked up Tommy Maddox, took him to whatever, six straight Super Bowls, as one does. Uh, The other one I would say is Trunk Candidate. (laughs) Just Anyone who played Madden knows how funny that is. The guy was a 99 speed on Madden 03 and just would run past everyone 
was no good in the NFL whatsoever, really. First-round pick running back, Played for a couple teams, 99 speed, trunk candidate. All right, final one for today. Pro Football Talk is reporting, and one of the most bizarre reports that I can remember, that Rob Gronkowski has a 40% chance of returning. How do you report that something has a 40% chance? Like, I'm reporting that there's a 4% chance an asteroid hits Earth this week. Like, I guess so. If he doesn't come back, was that wrong? Or would you say, no, I said 40%, so I'm not wrong. (laughs) Like, where the hell do you get that? Anyway, I want you guys to give me something that has a 40% chance of happening in the National Football League this year. Go ahead, Eric. Uh, 40% I think the, Vi- the, the Vikings have a 40% chance to make the playoffs. Oh, come on. Really? 40%? Yeah. That's it? The NFC is stacked, Matthew. 40%? That seems rather low. Well, you give them an equal chance at the Bears, Packers, and, uh, and uh, to win the NFC North, right? 33%. And then the, there's only two wild card berths, right? So then you okay, you know you add right. a little bit to that, and okay. it's more like forty four percent. But I, would, more, I okay, wanted to well, trigger yeah. all the Vikings yeah. fans. We, we are here in the house of football analytics, so I guess we have to be more precise. Jonathan, something in the NFL that has a forty percent chance of happening. Can we say the Patriots making the AFC Championship game will always be at least a forty percent chance of happening, of as course. long as Brady and Belichick are still a thing? Now, is that if Gronk comes back or not? It doesn't matter. As long as Brady and Bilicek are there, I think that's a 40% chance of happening. Okay, I like it. I think there's a 40% chance that the Vikings have a different kicker by week eight. <laughs> that seems low. I, mean, I, think the both, I think both of you... a little low. Both of yours are a little low, frankly. Well, I'm, I'm like thinking... The Patriots have a 100% chance of getting a first-round bye. Yeah. True. I mean, more or less. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What what are the Patriots' real chance? Like, is the Gronk thing enough to throw off? Uh, you know, like they, uh, I could I could run the numbers here. It might take a little bit, but no, we've got things to do. Okay, um, you can answer <laughs> it later. I just with with Dan Bailey, he was so good for such a long time with the Dallas Cowboys, but he's had a seventy five percent kicker the last two years he's been in the league, which would have been great back in the nineties. I know, like. Uh, Steve Christie was one of the best ever, and he's like 80%. And now if you're not 80%, you're not in the league. We have the Patriots with about an 83% chance to <laughs> wow. win the AFC East. So uh, we don't think wow. we don't think particularly highly of the Jets, Bills, or mm. the uh, Dolphins. But Very fair, very fair. Um, anyway, so yeah, I think that uh, the kicking situation is still tenuous and if dan bailey misses one in preseason they're bringing in another kicker to try out that's 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 the guarantee and the 40 percent chances that he continues to struggle and they start looking for other people and i would add there's a 40 percent chance that daniel carlson is the best kicker in the nfl (laughs) (laughs) you hate to see it Uh, all right uh so we're from the pff offices here matthew collar eric eager um, we are eager to talk with Sam Monson next. Uh, am I right, Eric? Anybody ever do that to you before? I've, it, everybody gets one. Okay. All right. I don't think I've ever made a pun with your name before, but uh, also the Twins are losing, so that's a thing that's happening as well. They're down 5-3. to three. So we will be right back here, and we'll have Sam Monson in our makeshift studio in Cincinnati. 
Compete against Score North personalities in Majors Fantasy Golf presented by the Meadows at Mystic Lake for your chance to win prizes from Craigans on Golf Lake, Parway Golf, and Chill Boys. The fourth major of the year begins tomorrow, so sign up right now at scorenorth.com, keyword golf. All right, thank you, Jonathan. Back here inside the PFF offices in Cincinnati, and my weather app says that it is now cleared up outside, so I can walk from here to the hotel after this, and I'm excited Boom. about that. Yeah, because earlier I got poured on and became very wet here in Cincinnati. So anyway, it's like we we come walking back in, and everyone inside is just dry and doing their jobs, and we look <laughs> like we've come from a monsoon or something. Uh, had the same experience yesterday, dodging lightning. So Sam Monson will be in here in just a couple of minutes. Matthew Collar, Eric Eager is co-hosting for these three days. We'll have some other people coming in as well. Mike Renner, Austin Gale. So a lot of the the talkers uh, here at PFF. And Austin and I were discussing some things about the Vikings defense. Now, I was asked, this is the request I got on Twitter, because Austin's very high on a few things on the Vikings defense. So before Sam comes in, this is a good time to do this. Someone on Twitter said, hey, love the show, like listening to it, but a lot of times you guys go over the what-if doom scenarios, which, guilty, it's football, like this is how it works. It's like, hey, what can go wrong? Like everything? Yeah. And then what will we do? Uh, so I, I will just uh, plead guilty to doing that sometimes. I want you to tell me, Eric, the best case scenario for the Minnesota Vikings. What has to happen for it all to go right and the Vikings to end up in the Super Bowl? Because that was the question. Is they asked like, "Hey, how about you do if everything like did a good?" <laughs> you know, and I was yeah, like, "Oh, yeah. okay, all right. I guess we haven't done that." Uh, in my opinion, I think it comes down to it comes down to Mitch Trubisky being as bad as a lot of people think he is. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron Rodgers not having the sort of impact with the new coach that people want him to have. Um, the Vikings steamrolling much like they did in 2017 to the NFC North title. Uh, and then facing somebody other than Pat Mahomes or Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Okay. Sam Monson walking in, trying to effectively get uh, the headgear on. Hi, Sam. How are you? Doing good. How about you? We just gave the Vikings the Super Bowl. Oh, sweet. Yeah, that's pretty fun, right? Yeah. Uh, the question that was posed to me on Twitter, so you can answer this now, um, was how could it happen? Like, if I told you <laughs> they got there, like, what happened for them to get there? And Eric's answer was the NFC North was terrible. That'll help, yeah. W- yeah. What else? I mean, their offensive line needs to do what Steve always preaches, right? Creep, creep back towards average. It doesn't need to be good. It just needs to not be a reason that they're losing games. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins, I think one of his things is he's in this middle tier of quarterbacks that can win. He just needs everything around him to be good for that to happen, right? And that is the case for like a dozen quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, they're good enough to win. They just need a lot more help than a guy like, you know, Andrew Luck or Patrick Mahomes or the top quarterbacks. So for... Um, Post for, for the picture, Sam. I'm taking it while you're talking. There you go. <laughs> for Cousins okay. to have Keep that talking. success, he needs the offensive line to actually be okay, You know, to at least hold up for long yeah. enough for him to execute because we know the receiving group is good. Um, Diggs and Thielen are both, I think, pretty spectacular receivers with uh, Kyle Rudolph there, with Irv Smith drafted, with Dalvin Cook out of the backfield. The group of receivers he has should be spectacular. Um, the offensive line just needs to get back to being reasonable. Uh, and then I think the defense probably needs to get back to its 2017 kind of level. Mm-hmm. It needs to be a legitimate 
top five defense, not just a good defense, because I don't think good is going to cut it. What do you think? I mean, because we, we've talked about this, but what do you think it's going to take for, for that, that defense? defense to be? Because because it's not trending that way, right? right I mean, it's not. Um, I mean, it takes a couple of guys getting back to their best. You know, Harrison Smith didn't have his best season last year. We know he is a top safety in in this league. He's arguably the best safety in the league when he's playing at his best. You know, him getting back to that kind of level would be big. Um, I think they need to find somebody somewhere in the in the sort of the D line death rotation. They need a guy that can come in and replace the kind of production they lost with Sheldon Richardson. I, I get why teams move on from Richardson, right? He's this frustrating player that probably only gives you 80% of what he's capable of all the time. Um, and every now and again, you'll see a game where you get the 100% uh, Sheldon Richardson. And that's, it honestly probably does him more harm than yeah. good because now coaches look at that and they say, well, why, why don't you give me that every week? Yeah. Um, but 80% Sheldon Richardson is still a really good player. Well, and, and we measure him probably better than most, right? Because his sack totals are in that like one to two range, right? right? And but we're looking at the pressures and how good he is in run defense, and 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 we like him a lot more. But some some teams might be a little bit more su- superficial and let him go uh, because his sack totals aren't very high. But yeah, but even just I, I think the the fact that teams know it's not everything he can give them just drives them nuts. I think that will make teams move on from him, even even if objectively you look at it and say, all right, we know he's not giving us. His, his full effort, but even the 80% of his full effort is still better than most players in the mm-hmm. league, so we should probably keep all of them. Yeah, when we're trying to figure out just uh, how much that really means, the Vikings don't have a proven player to come in and fill that spot. Right. And that's where it's hard to say, well, okay, is Jaleel Johnson, are they going to scheme something different to, to mix in some sort of rotation? I brought up the idea of moving Everson Griffin inside on passing down, so if it's second and 13, then he lines up over the guard and Steven Weatherly is outside. But it strikes me, Sam, that Mike Zimmer always just seems to figure these things out. Yeah. Last year, Xavier Rhodes is down, Trey Waynes is the same sort of average self, but got injured at times. Mike Hughes goes out for the year, and still... Overall, in yards, they're fourth best in the NFL because Zimmer just finds a way. Do you look at it that way with him as a defensive mind that even if there are things that go wrong for him, the Vikings should have a top-five defense anyway? Yeah, I mean, I think he's really good at getting a defense to a good level. I think almost regardless of what you surround him with, he'll be able to coach up a defense that will be decent. It will be a top-half, top-ten defense in the NFL. I think getting it from top-ten to being, you know, one of the top two or three units in the league is the really tough thing. And that's where it starts to make the difference for an offense that won't be amazing. Don't you think he does a great job? I can't think of a time where an average to below average offense had their way with the Vikings under Zimmer. Yeah. You know, it's almost always. So I think about last season, I think. I, I've got one. Uh-oh. Uh, the, the end of 2016 Colts, the Colts. they threw to Eric Swoop a bunch right. of times. Yeah, yeah. But I, I sort of consider <laughs> luck kind of like upper. Okay, sure. But Eric Swoop. Yeah, yeah. But like you think about like them, like last season, their their schedule did them a lot of favors, right? Because they got to play the Jets. They got to play, I mean, the Bills crushed. Okay, the Bills. Okay, too. the Bills. Yeah, so. Um, but, also, the quarterback fumbled twice in a row to give them yeah. the ball, like at the 20 yard so, line. So then the issue then becomes when they face an offense that. You know, gets all the cards in place. The the Rams on Thursday Night Football, the Eagles in the NFC title game. Oftentimes, they're unable to stop those teams, and then they've never had the quarterback play to sort of match those teams score for right. score. And that's what Cousins was brought in for, right. essentially. Right? It was when things start to get away from you, which is always going to happen because 
the NFL in 2019, defenses don't stop offenses anymore. You know, so at some point, you're going to come up against a Rams team, you're going to come up against a Chiefs team, and you're going to have to match them on offense because even if you have a top one or two defense, it's not going to slow them down to the point where you can win an ugly, low-scoring slugfest. Right. It's just almost impossible. So you bring in a Cousins because you've had years of experience seeing that whether it's Bradford, whether it's Teddy Bridgewater, whether it was Keenum, those guys aren't really capable of throwing the ball around and executing a you know, double-digit point comeback. They're not capable of doing it. Now, Cousins isn't exactly reliable at doing it, <laughs> but he's at least capable of doing it. Yep. Well, that, well, that's the question that I wanted to ask you about Kirk Cousins. And, and you mentioned that they've put a lot around him now. And ESPN's ranking had the Vikings supporting cast for the quarterback as the fifth best in the NFL. I was curious about what the PFF numbers say about the supporting cast, because I think the narrative for this year is going to be like, okay, you know what, you do get a little bit of a pass for last year because Tom Compton was starting on your offensive line and Brian O'Neill's a rookie and you played Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox and all this great talent and the Bears were historically good at taking the ball away. All those things went against you last year. Pat Elfline was coming off the injury, played really poorly, so you got all those things. You didn't have a number three receiver, you didn't have another weapon. A lot of those Delvin are their Cook choice. is hurt, right. So, yeah, yeah. I, right, but there were, there were many excuses that we heard, especially in my Twitter feed anytime I would be critical of Kirk Cousins. And I think that the thought process now in Minnesota is, all right, we spent all of our draft picks here. We kept Kyle Rudolph here for you. Like this, If you can't get it done this year, there's no reason to extend you. Yeah, I mean, there isn't. What you're doing is you're bringing in a guy who can, who is capable of executing that comeback and being the difference in one of those games where it gets away from you. But you still need... I mean, this team needs to essentially be the 2017 version of the Vikings again and just swap the quarterback out. Mm -hmm. Because that's what happened, is that yeah. that team was a Super Bowl-caliber team who ran up against another Super Bowl-caliber team in the Eagles, got blown away, and didn't have a quarterback that could execute any yeah. kind of comeback in right. the face of pressure. Now, Cousins might not have been able to do it either, but he was brought over because he's at least got the ability to make those big-time throws that Keenum doesn't really have in in you know in in his wheelhouse he just doesn't have that in his arsenal cousins at least has it but now the team isn't as good as it was that year so he's not good enough yeah. to be able to take a team that isn't that that isn't that good and bring it to a super bowl but he probably is capable of taking a team that's already at that level and being the difference in one of those games that starts to get away from you. 2017 was such the perfect situation for them, right? Because yeah. so many quarterbacks in the NFL got hurt. The opportunity for a team without a brilliant quarterback was there. They got to face a backup quarterback in the NFC title game, and ultimately it just didn't happen, right? But like nowadays, you know, the the chances of that happening are so low because you see this influx of talent to Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, if Trubisky develops, he could at least be average there. Jameis Winston develops with, with Arians. Like, the opportunity for this league to be just like, you know, t replete with a bunch of quarter, you know, quarterbacks that are uh, elite level talents is so much higher. 2017 was such a, a you know, a nice, a, a good run for the Vikings. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if that can be replicated. Well, and, and that's why I wanted to ask you: do, do you think it was the right decision to run it all back? Because they're basically trying to replicate the same roster that they had and same situation, even a similar type of play caller with an OG West Coast or Shanahan style with Kubiak type of thing, just like they had with Pat Shermer. So they're basically trying to say, anything we change, let's change it back. 
And I wonder if that was the right way to go for the offseason. Well, you probably had two choices. You probably had try and get try and basically fix everything we, that just went wrong over the last 12 months. Because, you know, like I say, 2017, this team was a Super Bowl caliber team. So let's try and roll it back 12 months. Or we essentially blow up the offensive side of things and we try and go with this new wave, i.e. we basically hire another Sean McVay disciple, which is what everybody else did, Mm -hmm. except for the Cardinals that was trying to be innovative. So those were basically your two options, and it was probably the higher percentage play to just try and get back to what was there 12 months ago Mm -hmm. than roll the dice with one of these guys that isn't Sean McVay but might have a close enough connection with McVay that he's also good. The backup quarterback, Sean Mannion, played for McVay, so basically by week eight, he could be calling the plays, mm-hmm. essentially. Yes. Which would probably be a significantly better impact for him than ever seeing the field. <laughs> <laughs> or than John D. Filippo was last year. Uh, let's uh, take a quick break here. When we come back, I want to ask you, Sam, where the NFL is now in terms of analytics. We are in the, uh, the, the epicenter of football analytics here in Cincinnati, and uh, it's really exciting, and I appreciate you guys allowing me to come down here. So I, I think that people are interested in that. Is, is this going toward the baseball route where everything is going to be dictated by numbers? We will answer that question. When we return, you are listening to Purple Daily live from the PFF offices here on Score North. 342 here at Score North right now. Time for the Score North download. This download brought to you by MyPillow. If you're wondering what the twin score is right now, it's not good for the twins. 11-3, they're losing to the Mets at Target Field. Bottom of the eighth right now. 2-1, no out. No out for the twins right now, but it's still 11-3. Not good. Happy Hour is this Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on the Score North mobile app. Score North is giving away a four-pack of Twins-Yankees tickets for Tuesday, July 23rd. All you have to do for your chance to win is open the Score North mobile app between 4 to 6 p.m. this Thursday and enter to win. Don't have the app? No problem. Just download it, register, and enter for your chance to win through listener rewards. Your only window to win these Twins-Yankees tickets is between 4 to 6 p.m. on Thursday with the Score North mobile app and Score North's Happy Hour. Now back to Purple Daily. I think what they say about that Twins game, Jonathan, is that escalated quickly. Yeah, it was 5-3, to three, and now it's 11-3 to three for the Mets. So, Thanks, Matt Okay, McGill. That's, that's going really well. Uh, all right, back here inside of the PFF offices, Sam Monson with me here. We'll be here for the rest of the week, so tomorrow and Friday as well. Uh, tomorrow we're going to do like a ton of grinding out divisions and around the league stuff, and I'm really excited about that. But uh, Sam, while you're in here, um, you're as dialed in as anybody in the world to football analytics and uh, I was hoping that you could just kind of explain where we stand now because it seems like we're in the same place that baseball was maybe 10 years ago where you still had people saying, but bunting, like, you should still do it. And now no one ever bunts for no reason because it seems like everything is dictated by numbers, and I wonder if you think that we uh, are ultimately headed in that direction with football. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, it took us years to get every all 32 nfl teams as as customers some came on very quickly some were you know real holdouts right towards the end um and even now you've got all 32 teams the the different levels of sort of involvement and, and how much they actually embrace what they have is amazing we meet with pretty much every team every year at the combine um it's our kind of 
check in time for for a lot of these guys just to you know how did the year go what would you like better what would you like to see added all that kind of stuff um, and you can tell just from sitting in those meetings the different levels of competency essentially mm-hmm. with, uh, throughout the NFL some teams are they're taking our data they're integrating with their stuff they're building their own computer models off it they're doing a lot of the stuff that Eric and George do mm-hmm. um, independently and then some teams are basically just saying yeah, could you just give us, you know, this number that tells us everything we need to know about everything? <laughs> well, not really. I mean, you know, there's some legwork between where we are and where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you don't appear to have anybody in the building necessarily capable of doing it. So I think some teams are, you know, really on the cutting edge of this stuff. They're, you see it even on Twitter. Some, you know, guys that are, are big into the analytics scene are being hired by NFL teams. Sure, right. They're they're getting smart people in the building. They already had smart work going on behind the scenes, and they have access to as much data as anybody else. Those teams, I think, are doing some very clever things. Um, and other teams, they're just not there yet, and it's going to take them a while. Um, and then the other big thing is it's sort of the dynamics within the building. You know, it's how many people you get on side. So some teams, you may have the analytics department entirely on side. They may be doing great work mm-hmm. on, on their own. They may be pulling the data, doing the right stuff with it, but they just can't get the coaches to listen. You know, right. they, those guys only deal in ring binders and, and obvious statements, and if it goes against their their kind of previously held conceptions, they're just not going to be receptive to it. And, mm-hmm. and those barriers sometimes are very difficult to break down. And again, that's it's different. There's 32 teams. There's 32 differences with how all those buildings work. Some of them are fantastically integrated. Some of them, the the numbers guys, the analytics guys, they, they know how to present the data mm-hmm. to the coaches. Right. It's like, you know, this guy left to his own devices would never listen to any of this stuff. <laughs> but if I present it in the right way or mm-hmm. if I come at it a certain way, he'll listen. Right. So, and then obviously, and then you get the ones that just, you know, this guy's never going to pay any attention to any of this stuff. Right, so we're just right. wasting our time with his staff. So last year, Paul Molitor, who was the manager of the Twins, he talked about with his players finding different ways to get them to understand certain analytical concepts. Like, for example, if you shift every once in a while, the ball's going to roll through that open area. It's only five times out of 100, but every one of those five times, every player's going to go, oh, it's because we shifted. There's no third baseman there, and now they've got a man on base, and it didn't work. See, do you deal with that same sort of stuff as in a, a lot of the analytics are bigger picture type of studies? And I think it's hard sometimes to separate for they put everything in kind of an analytics bin and separate from the, hey, here's what the big picture says. But that doesn't say that about every single situation all the time. Yeah. And I think that's probably harder in football than it is in a lot of other sports because there's only 16 regular season games. And any one of those instances can actually cost you a win mm-hmm. right away. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's why I think the fourth down stuff has always been tricky. It's because if I screw this up right here, that's the game, yep. that's our season, yep. that's the playoffs gone, yeah. and now I get fired. So I'm not going to risk it. But it's taken a while, but now we're starting to see. I think the the broader collective understands that the numbers now say you're better off to go for it. So the pressure is almost coming on them from the other way now, mm-hmm. which is if you don't go for it now, you're you're going to be lambasted for being an idiot. Like now you actually should be going for it, and people will give you the credit if it didn't work. Or right. they'll choose to blame the play you called, not the fact that you went for it. Yeah, and, and the play-calling element of it, the schematic element and how it connects to 
how players perform, I think, is sort of an area where you guys are going, and maybe you do with teams and don't always tell me, the PFF customer, on your website. But I think just trying to figure out when you look at someone's grade and how they performed, and then you work your way down from that. So Elfline is the is the example I can use that's obvious to Vikings fans. of Somebody who dealt with injuries, a change in scheme, he didn't come until week four, and he had to play Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox. So contextualizing the numbers within the scheme, who they played against, how they were used, and those sorts of things, I think is something that now we're getting to be good at using pro football focused numbers with. Where when they came out, it might have been like, oh, well, this doesn't match up with what the announcer said about this guy, so you're an idiot. Yeah. PFF, you don't know how to grade a player. But now I think we're, we're starting to, as football fans, get really good at this. Yeah, I mean, our, we don't control how people use PFF data, which is always part of the problem, right? Is that a bunch of people, like anything, a bunch of people use the numbers badly and they come in and say, well, this guy had whatever the grade was, therefore he's terrible. Like nobody inside of PFF would ever tell you that about a guy, that just because he had a really bad grade over a period of time in isolation, therefore he's awful, particularly if the context around that says something else. Sure. So, you know, Darren Lee is one. He had a really good grade last season. In coverage, but every other season of his career, he's been a disaster in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And the Chiefs acquired him. There was a story that they already believe he's one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL. Mm. We would say, well, that seems kind of crazy because there isn't evidence to really support that. And people say, well, your grade says he was last year. Like, well, okay, it did, mm-hmm. but other seasons say otherwise. B, that grade is, is largely based off two games where he was very good and the right. rest not so much. Um, and he missed half the year. So that mm-hmm. those t- that two-game sample gets you know proportionally increased in magnitude as to how much it's affecting the grade. So we add in all the other bits of context, we wouldn't say that. Um, so if, And anyone that sort of understands how to use PFF knows you can go, you look at the other bits of data, the other seasons mm-hmm. he's graded and wouldn't make that claim. But other people will throw it around there, and that's what we get accused of doing. It's, well, you said that... And, uh, whereas, really, it's just other people sort of misusing the grades. And to me, putting together the puzzle pieces is sort of my favorite part, is where I have the advantage of being able to go to the Vikings locker room and ask them about a PFF stat that I read on your site or that you wrote in an article, and then try to contextualize it through their eyes and then through what I've seen and then put it together with the bigger samples and the league and everything else. And I just think in general... We are doing, in major part because of PFF, so much better of a job of telling the story of what's really going on. And I'll give you a great example. Someone like Andrew Whitworth, did a lot of people know who that was before? Right. And, and now the guy is a, a star. I mean, he's talked about all the time as one of the best left tackles. And I, and I just think that what we've done in part because of this over the last few years, even from when I started as a radio person is really sharpened our view with these players. So I think that we're really close to what the truth is, even though the truth as you're talking about is kind of hard to pin down a lot of times with such a complicated sport. And I think particularly on offensive on the offensive line, we've come so far over the last decade of, you know, PFF doing this. When you look at the the all pro team in particular, we don't really have that many problems with the all pro team on the mm-hmm. offensive line anymore. Yeah. If you go back ten years, 
we would probably disagree with almost the entire <laughs> all-pro offensive line. It would just be a mess because it was 100% based off reputation mm-hmm. and what people thought guys were doing, not how they were actually performing. Because the offensive line, there's no information. There's no data. There's no right. yards. Pancakes. Are, right. And if there were, <laughs> it was based thing. off you know what the running back got, what the overall yeah. running game did, what the yeah. overall passing game did, not necessarily whether it was down to the offensive line or not. Now you actually see... Um, you know, guys like Andrew Whitworth get the credit that they deserve because mm-hmm. there's grading, there's numbers, there's pressures, there's, you know, sacks given up, there's all this kind of stuff. And I think overall, the whole um, sort of understanding of how offensive linemen are playing is is way more accurate than it was before we were doing this just by recording it, just by taking down information on these guys yeah because really your only way of knowing was what john madden told you about whether a guy was good or not right or if you saw him in a national tv game i remember this happened with sam bradford is he actually had a pretty good 2016 season overall it wasn't great but it was pretty decent with the eagles but he had two national tv games that were bad and so when the vikings traded for him oh he's a disaster this guy's terrible because that's kind of where we shape our view. If yeah. someone gets a pick six in a national TV game, you, everyone's going to know that guy, and we'll assume he's a good cornerback. But what's the bigger sample size say? And it's been supremely helpful as a reporter to be able to put those actual numbers on it. Some of them are difficult to figure out the predictability of, right. but you can say, okay, this year this is exactly how this guy is performing over the bigger sample. That's really cool. Um before I let you go and we wrap up the show for today, we'll be here for the rest of the week, by the way. Um, do you like America? You've been here for a couple of years now, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've moved over in August 2017, so um, almost exactly two years now. So working out for you. Yeah, it's doing good. Seems like um, a nice town here, Cincinnati. It is. It's a nice town. Moving over here, you get a lot more space for your money. Okay. Uh, that's a big thing. Like my... My house in Dublin would fit square footage-wise in the basement of my house here, so that's, that's nice. <laughs> All right, very good. Well, Sam, I appreciate your time, and uh, you guys are very generous to allow me to broadcast here from the PFF studios. We'll be back 2 to 4 tomorrow and Friday from here in Cincinnati. We will talk to you then. Coming up next. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.